The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. This hour of the Costa Report is brought to you by Dole Food Company, the world's leading producer and distributor of fresh fruits and vegetables. Welcome to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and thank you for joining me for another two hours of Straight Talk Radio. Before we get started today, let me take a moment to welcome members of our armed services who are joining us from around the world, and also our international listeners who tune in on the Internet. The Costa Report can now be heard on affiliate stations in every state and country. And if you ever miss an episode, which I hope that you don't, you can catch me on Voice America, Apple iTunes, and download episodes from our website at Rebecca Costa. Today, we're going to be talking to a patriot and leader who put his career on the line over a decade ago when he warned the president, Congress, and the American people about the dangerous consequences of escalating government debt. My guest today is the former Secretary of the Treasury in the Bush administration, Mr. Paul O'Neill. As it is my custom to do each week, I'd like to give you a little background before Mr. O'Neill joins us. He was born in St. Louis, Missouri, but if you can believe what you read on the internet, he considers Pittsburgh to be his home. O'Neill earned his undergraduate and graduate degrees in economics from California State University at Fresno and Claremont Graduate University, and he also has a master's in public administration from Indiana University. O'Neill began work as a computer systems analyst with the Veterans Administration, after which he joined the United States Office of Management and budget. He was deputy director for this office until Gerald Ford lost the election. Then O'Neill returned to the private sector as an executive with International Paper. He also headed up Alcoa as well as the Rand Corporation. In 1988, O'Neill was asked by President Bush to become Secretary of Defense. At that time, he declined the invitation and instead recommended Dick Cheney for the position. But O'Neill did relent to chair an advisory group on education, which was successful in instituting national standards and testing. Then in 2001, Paul H. O'Neill became the 72nd U.S. Secretary of the Treasury. But this was a short-lived assignment owing to the fact that by 2002, O'Neill was sounding the alarm that government spending was dangerously out of control. He published a report which estimated that if the deficit reached $500 billion, Americans would be facing a 66% across-the-board tax increase. This put O'Neill on the hot seat, and his differences with the administration's tax cuts and other domestic and foreign policies are now a matter of public record. We're going to learn more about why we ignored O'Neill's warnings a decade ago in just a moment. It's my pleasure to welcome to the program an early whistleblower and an American patriot, Mr. Paul O'Neill. Welcome to the program, Mr. O'Neill. Oh, thank you very much. It's nice to be with you. Well, there's really no point in beating around the bush anymore, and I, and I don't mean that as a pun. History has shown that the analysis and the conclusions you came to over a decade ago were correct. How do you feel about that? 
you know, actually, I have uh, mixed feelings in this sense. You know, uh, I was certain then uh, that we needed fundamental tax reform in order to take care of the problems that were building up with unfunded obligations. And I was also one who kept saying there's no evidence of weapons of mass destruction. And, you know, I wasn't willing to compromise uh, to keep the job because I thought those two things were incredibly important. And so I was uh, happy to leave the administration, you know, and, and how do I feel about being right? I don't, in, in a way, I don't really feel good about that because it's not good enough to be right. It's more important to be able to convince uh, decision makers of the right course of action. Uh, and then you and then you could say you've accomplished something important, knowing we were on the right track, not a very satisfying position to be in. I have to say you weren't just right. You were right over a decade ago. This fiscal cliff that's coming up, this isn't something that just popped up overnight. And if anybody knows that, it would be you. You were the, you were the Secretary of the Treasury. Well, you know, here's a, here's a really interesting thing, Rebecca. I, I'm one, you know, because I'm in the thick of this uh, current conversation, I, I'm one who believes that we as a nation should have some uh, rock-solid principles that we honor on a regular basis. So here's a rock-solid principle. <clears throat> I believe we should, as a society, pay for the things we want and need. It's a basic principle. Now, it doesn't mean that you can't occasionally and sometimes in a major way go into a borrowing position as a society. Goodness knows we, we needed to do it in the Second World War, and we did it. But the thing is, after we borrowed all that money in the Second World War, we basically set out to pay it back. Now, here's a fact that most people don't know. If you believe, as I do, the principle is we should pay for what we want and need, then if you look from 1960 until 2012, we've actually only paid for the things we want to need three years out of that 60, out of that the 52 year period. You know, so three years. We, we, yeah, we've you know in the transition year between uh, between Lyndon Johnson and Richard Nixon, we ran a balanced budget. On a current account basis, you know, I, I need to make an important point about that. We're, we're talking about annual budget figures, and so three years, two years in the Clinton administration, one year between uh, Johnson and Nixon, we've run a balanced budget. Every other year, we've borrowed money, not, not always huge amounts, more recently very, very large amounts, to pay for the things we want and need, which seems to me not the mark of a mature society that's fulfilling its responsibilities because when we borrow money, we're really creating an obligation. And the terrible part of where we are is not only have we not met our annual obligations, but we've been running up an unbelievable amount of so-called unfunded obligations, most particularly for Medicare and Medicaid and to a degree for Social Security, to the tune right now of $86.8 trillion. That's the measure of our, of our recognized debt and our unfunded obligations. You know, so what I was talking about 12 years ago or 
you know, from uh, 2001 and 2002, I could I could tell from looking at the numbers that we were on an acceleration path and that we couldn't sustain it. It was not good for our society. But I was apparently unconvincing, in fact, to the point that, it, you know, toward the end of my tre- Treasury time at, an, at a meeting in the Roosevelt Room with the president and Dick Cheney, Dick Cheney sitting next to me said, well, Paul, we, should, we don't need to worry about this thing. Ronald Reagan proved that deficits don't matter. Wow. Wow, that's yeah. that's a that's a very that's a very scary thought. I, I have to say that I've always had a very simple uh, principle about this. And here's my principle: if you borrow money, or you go into a war, I'd like to know the exit strategy. Right. Right. I mean, I as as, yeah. as an individual, if you borrow money, you have to have an exit strategy. How are you going to pay that money back or make the debt go away? You don't borrow right. money and say, "Well, I'll never have to pay it." And I don't have to come to terms with with it somewhere at some point. And so I don't understand when you borrow money or you go into a war, why you don't have why it is not a requirement to write down, just like you do planning to go into war or planning to borrow the money, why you don't have to write down what the exit strategy is and then work toward that plan. Well, you know, I I completely agree with you that that's what we ought to be doing. But I tell you a very interesting thing, Rebecca. In the current conversation we're having, uh, and I'm sure you're paying attention to this, it looks to me like there's a chance, you know, at least uh, a small chance, that people are going to pass something like the so-called Simpson-Bowles plan and declare a mighty victory for the people. So here's a fact people don't seem to know. The next time under the Simpson-Bowles plan, we, the American people, would balance the budget is in 2035, 23 years Oh, boy, I I hope people are listening to this uh, because we we have to take a short commercial break. But when we come back, uh, I want to talk about this because, boy, if you want to talk about kicking the can down the road, (laughs) we have become a society that is addicted to temporary stopgap measures and those are the only solutions i see on the table right now and that's even more upsetting than the fiscal cliff to me you're listening to the costa report don't wait to buy buy now then wait it's a perfect time to buy a home But sometimes, having a large selection of homes to choose from can be just as confusing as not having enough. Hi, I'm Judy Profeta, owner-broker of Alon Pinnell Realtors in Carmel. Our office has been there for almost 20 years, and I don't remember a time when having an experienced realtor mattered more. In today's world, you need experts to navigate through a vast selection of homes, lending options, and lifestyles. So let the professionals at Alon Pinnell Realtors, the premier real estate company of the Monterey Peninsula, help you. Stop by our offices at the corner of Dolores and Ocean or our main office on Unipero between 5th and 6th in downtown Carmel. Alon Pinnell Realtors, home of agents in the know.
The holiday season is in full swing, and I know how important it is to select just the right gift for the people you love. That's why this year I want to suggest something that won't end up in the closet or garage. The new paperback edition of The Watchman's Rattle has just hit bookstores everywhere. In fact, for those of you true last-minute shoppers, you can even pick up a copy at the airport. That's right right there at the airport at any one of the Hudson bookstores. So this year, give the book that explains how we can fix our current economic worries and make life fun again. Give the Watchman's Rattle. And while you're at it, pick up a copy for yourself. You'll be glad you did. It's all about old Santa coming Christmas Eve to answer many letters that you can't believe. The faces of the kids are... When you want straight talk, great service, and the best deals, you will always find them at North Bay Ford in Santa Cruz. Hello, I'm Jeff Winterholder. North Bay Ford is a locally owned dealership with low overhead, friendly, small town values, and the best deals on new and pre-owned cars, trucks, and RVs. Get this, Jeff's Deal of the Week at North Bay Ford. Wow, you will have fun. Lots of fun while saving money with a new fuel-efficient 252 horsepower 2013 Ford Focus ST. Yes, 252 horsepower from a 2-liter Ford EcoBoost engine will give you lots of fun. And you'll get 23 miles per gallon city and 32 highway. You simply must drive the new Ford Focus ST to believe how much fun you can have saving money on gas. So get on down to North Bay Ford and say, Jeff, put me in a Focus ST. Comes standard with variable cam timing, six-speed select shift transmission, and starts at only $24,495 at North Bay Ford. We need a quality pre-owned economy car for your college student, a new family car for your Sunday drives, or a fleet of powerful new trucks for your berry ranches. Look first to your friends and neighbors at locally owned North Bay Ford. 1999 Soquel Avenue, Santa Cruz, or on the web at northbayford.com. Are you a faithful KSL listener? Do you listen only during the week or weekends as well? For example, Sundays at 11 a.m., the week review with Dave Michaels and Thomas Hughes, followed by Dr. Pete Pepperi. Oh, after a couple of three hours of old time radio, we have Sunday at 4 with me, your host. Dave Allen, where we talk about esoteric, metaphysics, quantum physics, everything positive, anything unusual, more happier radio, more positive radio. Sundays at 4 p.m. with me, host Dave Allen, right here on AM 1080 KSEO. Welcome back to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and our guest today is former Treasury Secretary of the United States, Mr. Paul O'Neill. And before the break, you were saying that there's some discussion of putting uh, the Simpson Bowls uh, through, and uh, that the, the American public may not completely understand that that means no balanced budget for another 10, 12 years. Do I have that right? No. 23 years. 23 years. Oh, God, it's yeah. worse. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we had to make sure this is nonpartisan. So uh, you know, Congress, Congressman Ryan was lambasted <clears throat> for his plan. And under his plan, we would have next balanced the budget in 2040, which means 28 years from now. And under the plan the president has put forward, we would never again balance the federal budget. So so we could just keep going this way for another 23 years. 
<laughs> I, I can't I can't even okay I cannot even imagine it so let, let's move on to this current fiscal cliff and there's right. some economists that estimate that these the Bush tax cuts might have been responsible for as much as 15 percent of the current deficit so can I assume that you are opposed to extending these tax cuts or any others like them that that it's just it's got to be off the table you know, actually, I have uh, a different view. You know, so a lot of the, I would say, the current conversation, they're kind of well, what seem to me a rules of engagement about this subject and about a lot of other things where uh, thinking people are not permitted to think. So let me tell you what I mean by that. If, if you agree with me that over time we need to pay for what we want and need, then we need to do it in the most efficient way that the mind of man can imagine. So let me tell you a couple of facts about our current tax system. Our current tax system, which is unbelievably complicated, tens of thousands of pages of direct law and regulations, the best estimates are that our tax gap, that means the amount of money we're not collecting, uh, that we should be collecting under the law, but we can't because of a combination of outright fraud and complexity, is $400 billion a year. Now, let me remind you, last year we collected $2.5 trillion from all our sources, but going uncollected was $400 billion. Now, here's another staggering fact. Again, by best estimates, the cost to our society of administering the current federal tax system, which means the direct federal cost and what we all pay to hire uh, tax lawyers to hopefully keep us on the safe side of compliance, and uh, all the lawyers and, and tax lawyers and accounting specialists, say a thousand of them at General Electric that are working hard to make sure General Electric doesn't pay any taxes, the total amount of administration is $436 billion a year. Wow. So. Right. So in total, we've got what I would say is $836 billion a year of inefficiency in our revenue system. And so what, what I've been proposing, what I think is the right thing, is we need to have a tax system that is fair and efficient and transparent. And frankly, I've been saying, and I believe this is right, we should eliminate the current federal personal income tax and the current federal corporate tax and the payroll taxes, and we should replace the whole mess with a transparent, on top of the table, progressive value-added tax. By progressive, I mean if you don't have any uh, income, then you don't have to pay the value-added tax. The rest of us probably would have to pay something like 30 or 35% of value-added tax, you know, kind of a simple version is it's a sales tax. I would have it apply to everything, no exceptions, so we don't complicate the administration. And everyone would be able to count on not being able to avoid, not being able to evade. And then we could have a really interesting discussion about what are our wants and needs and how do we decide and how much of that add up to. And then we have to take the responsibility for having a value-added tax that will provide no tax for very low-income people and then gradually move up to the general national rate as your income rises, say, above forty or $50,000 a year. And 
No, and you know, along with that, that means no credits, no deductions, no happy talk, uh, just raising revenue. And then, you know, not to be a flinty-eyed about this, to the degree the the American people want to favor uh, some behaviors, say home ownership or charitable giving, if we want to favor people by by uh, giving them money, we ought to actually write them a check. We should write them a check. I, I don't really, uh, you know, I, I don't know, maybe I sound a little bit too libertarian here, but I, I don't know that the government should be involved in getting people to favor one behavior or another. I, I mean, I, I don't I don't like using taxes as carrots and sticks. I don't think we should use the tax system you know, at all. But I, I don't either. Is, and, I, and, and one thing I will say is that, you know, I, I'm really a big fan because I admire the fact that you're acknowledging that the problem is systemic and that all these little stopgap measures and these Band-Aids, they're not going to do anything. They're not going to add up to a hill of beans. Right. The fact is, the, what people do not understand is the more complex the tax system is, the more it favors large corporations and the wealthy who can hire buildings of people to legally avert paying taxes. And I agree simpler, with you. The simpler the tax system gets, the fairer it gets. This, this is, there is an algorithm there. And I don't think people understand that a complex tax code works against the man on the street. It's the enemy. It absolutely is. And it's, and it's not only causing us to amplify our deficit because we can't collect on this $800 billion that's slipping through our fingers every year. But the guy who goes down to H&R Block and pays 30 bucks to get his tax, uh, taxes done, he's paying taxes and GE is not. Right. At some point, the light bulb ought to go off, don't you think? I do, but let me say again, I want to get rid of the corporate tax, too, and I, I tell you why. Because corporations don't really pay taxes. They just collect the money to send to the government. Yeah, yeah that's right. They're collectors. Okay, and so we ought to put the collection right out there where we buy goods and services so it's in everybody's face every day. This is the bill we have for the things... We've decided we want to support. You know, as I've had this conversation, I, tell, I can't tell you how many people have said, oh, my God, well, we have to make sure we, uh, we, we uh, maintain the charitable giving deduction. So I say to them, okay, well, look, do you, do you, have you ever thought about where the money comes from to give people a charitable deduction? It comes from the average taxpayer, right? That's so right. We're, we're basically favoring people who have enough money to give away to good causes and charities and using money from the average taxpayer to do it. And that's why I say if we're going to do things like that, it ought to be so transparent that more than 50% of the people support it and we write a check and the check is signed by this is a gift from the American people, from your friends and neighbors, because the government doesn't have any money. It doesn't take away from the people, Rebecca. Yeah, you, you know, you're absolutely right. And and you know, I, I have to say that the more I listen to you speak, and I know you have a number of interviews and videos posted on the Internet, and I hope people after this interview will go and research that and Google you. Because the more I hear you speak, you bring such a practical common sense and a transparency and it is exactly what we're lacking in our nation's capital right now. Now, we have to take another short break. And when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about the role of dissension in government and where all this intolerance has led us. Uh, you're listening to the Costa Report.
Well, the holidays are upon us, and that means the festivities are officially underway. So here's a tip guaranteed to make a splash at every party and put a smile on every hostess. Pick up a bottle of Caraccioli Pinot Noir Chardonnay Brut or Brut Rosé. Grown, perfected, and bottled by the Caraccioli family, these old-school premium wines are one of the best-kept secrets among wine aficionados. But trust me, the secret's getting out fast. So grab a bottle while these wines are still affordable. Go to CaracciolisCellars.com or stop by their tasting room on Dolores and Ocean Avenue in downtown Carmel and pick up a bottle of Caraccioli Premium Wines and bring a little bling to the holidays. Martinelli's Gold Medal Sparkling Cider is the perfect choice for holiday gatherings. Martinelli's is non-alcoholic, festive like champagne, and tastes great because it's made from U.S. grown fresh apples, not from concentrate. Martinelli's, a family tradition since 1868. This is Stephen Martinelli. I'm here with my son, John, the fourth generation president of our family's 140-year-old cider company. All of us at Martinelli's wish you a safe and festive holiday season and a happy new year. Guys, remember when you could work all day, play all night, and romance was electrifying. And then you got older, tireder, and your waistline got bigger. What's happened? Simple. You're losing testosterone. Well, get it back safely, naturally, and inexpensively with Andro 400. Listen to what Don from Greenville, South Carolina says. I am only 10 weeks into taking Andro 400, and I have lost 12 pounds and 3 inches from my waist. My energy level has increased and my appetite has decreased. All this without additional exercise. Normally I scoff at radio or TV ads promising results like this, but in this case, my results have far exceeded my expectations. Experience all the benefits of increased testosterone the safe and natural way with Andro 400. Go to andro400.com today and get our best offer of the year up to 40% off. Go now, andro400.com. Having pest problems inside and outside of your home, Hydrex Pest Control is here to help. We not only offer services to control ants, spiders, and termites, but offer relief for a variety of other pests, such as rodents, skunks, and gophers. And don't forget about our lawn care and weed control program. Call your local Hydrex today at 1-800-318-1162 or visit us online at www.hydrexnow.com. Be sure to ask about our eco-friendly products. Hydrex Pest Control. Look for the sign of the spider. I visited the Drake's Bay Oyster Farm this week. You know, the one ordered to close down soon by our government and toured the operation. Here is my assessment. There could not be a more honorable, responsible, socially and environmentally conscious group of genuine, caring, sensitive, good people anywhere. Yet these angels have for the past seven years been continuously, viciously and maliciously attacked by scheming, lying, environmental zealots who falsely claim that the farm is negatively impacting the environment when exactly the opposite is true. We have posted a 17-minute video about this unbelievable story on the KSCO.com homepage. Please go watch it and then tune in to the next KSCO special this Saturday, 10 a.m. to 12 noon, right here on This End Does Not Justify the Means Radio, AM 1080 KSCO. KSCO. 
Welcome back to the Costa Report. I'm here today with former Secretary of the Treasury, Paul O'Neill. And before the break, we were talking about a tax system, which actually you've been quoted as saying is a monstrosity. And you've suggested that it ought to be thrown out and a simpler, more transparent system should be in place. So I have a question for you. What do you say to experts on the other side of the argument who claim that uh, that the money that we that people save when we reduce taxes that you know for corporations uh, allows them to have more money to invest in expansion open up more jobs consumers will have more money to spend so they'll purchase more goods and that'll increase demand and also contribute to more jobs when we put this whole trickle down theory together it really sounds good <laughs> well i tell you what it doesn't sound good to me and i don't think it's true so you know i've also i've I've also been saying for a long time, and in fact, I saw it in print a couple of weeks ago. Somebody went and dug out uh, the testimony that I gave at my nominating, uh, where I, where I was, uh, where I'd been nominated to be Secretary of the Treasury, and I had to go testify before the Senate Finance Committee and say what I thought about a variety of things. And they asked me about this proposition of of uh, tax breaks so the corporations create more jobs and all the rest of that, and I said. You know what uh, I believe this. I I I have never in the two Fortune 50 companies I had the privilege to run ever made an investment decision because of an investment tax credit from the federal government or any state government. Now, on the other hand, everybody should understand if they're giving away money, I took it. Right? Of course, so, yeah, of course. Right? I mean, if the government's giving away the people's money and and my organization is eligible, I take the money, right? But it's not the right thing to do, and it's unnecessary because investments that are legitimate investments and not some form of charity earn the cost of capital and pay for all their costs, including whatever taxes are imposed on the business community. Of course. You know? So the whole thing is ridiculous, Rebecca. Right, and and business, you know, people who head up uh, companies like Alcoa and the Rand Corporation, like yourself, uh, they already know what the tax consequences are of their investments in advance. So that that's being accounted for when they make those investments. But but here's a question for you: that uncollected tax gap of 400 billion a year is that in the economy? Is that is that working? Is that being reinvested? Is it okay that we have that tax gap as long as that money's moving through the economy and it's being reinvested by corporations and, and individuals? Well, I, you know, for me, there's a previous question. Are we a nation of laws or not? Ah, well, that's a, that is a good question. All right, so if we're a nation of laws, then when we write a law, we should enforce it. We've created a tax law that is simply unenforceable. I tell you, when I was running the Treasury, the IRS worked for me, and I tell you, I, it broke my heart to have to go and talk to them because because of what the Congress had enacted. We were asking them, in effect, every day to climb, let's say, a 500-foot steel wall that we poured oil down before we asked them to climb it. It was impossible. And if we had five million Americans enforcing the tax code, we still have a huge tax gap. You know, it's not because we don't have enough people. It's because it's impossible. And then there are people who are who have no principles, and, and they will defraud us. If we had a value-added tax, they would not be able to get away with that. Well, oversight seems to be an ongoing problem in our government. Yes. We, we, we don't have oversight over anything. 
Well, I tell you what, I think not just the IRS. I mean, you can point to every department. It doesn't matter <laughs> if it's environmental oversight or it's educational oversight. We we seem to sort of lost control of that, haven't we? Well, I also think we, you know, we don't work from basic principles. So, if you were watching the Congress pass something uh, called the Dodd Frank Act, mm-hmm. uh, Chris Dodd and Barney Frank cobbled up this legislation, 2,500 pages of it, supposedly to fix our financial system so we'd never have another financial meltdown. Mm-hmm. So when they were doing it, uh, Senator Corker from Tennessee called me. and He said, I'm pretty sure you're paying attention. What do you think of what we're doing? And I said, <laughs> well, not much, because here's what we ought to do. You only need two pages to make sure we'll never have a meltdown in our financial system again. The first page needs to say, after this bill is enacted, it shall be illegal in the United States of America for anyone to give or receive a home mortgage without a 20% equity down payment. And the equity payment will be stapled to the mortgage forever, which means it can't be diluted by financial engineering or chicanery. And the second page should say, Every organization in the United States that does financial transactions shall be required to have a 20% equity backing for everything they do, which means they got to put their money on the line, and it's the first money we have recourse to if anything goes wrong. And then our financial systems would be bulletproof, and we don't need 2,500 pages. And Senator Corker said to me, well, that's right, Paul, but we can't do that. Well, there you go again. You're trying right. to make things simple. Uh, well, you know, trying to use your brain to do the uh, right I, thing. I, no, 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 no. You, you, you can't make things simple because simple equals fair. <laughs> right. I, 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 don't, I don't know. I, I'm going to have to come over to your house and explain it to you at, at some point. <laughs> the simpler something is, the more fair it is. When it comes, you know, look at Nancy Pelosi putting her hand on that health care bill and saying, I'm really glad we passed it. So now we can read it and try to understand what's in it. Mm-hmm. You see, the more complicated things are, the American people can't understand it. Not only can't they understand it, it gives people that have the resources to get lots of analysts to understand it on their behalf the advantage so complexity works against the person that's on the street and and this is the reality you want to get it down to two pages well no wonder you're not in the nation's capital and and i (laughs) look i speak for a lot of americans we need you there (laughs) we need people to make it simple and make it fair and make it transparent and understandable because one thing that we know is that when a government says we're perfectly transparent but they're giving but they're putting proposals together that are two and three and five hundred pages along uh along there's nothing transparent about that. I don't have time to read or study or analyze that. I agree with you. So that's a false sense of transparency. That's just, you know, that that's it. That's theater because that has nothing to do with transparency. Transparency is getting things down to two pages like you just mentioned. Exactly. Now, you, it's important to note that the escalating deficit wasn't your only disagreement with the Bush administration. You also expressed a lot of concerns about the invasion in Iraq. Is that right? You know, I saw the intelligence reports every day, you know, after 9-11. I tell you what, showing up there at 6 o'clock in the morning and getting a 30- or 40-page single-space report about all the threats that people were making around the world was just unbelievable to have that every day. But among all those threats, there was not a scintilla of evidence that there were weapons of mass destruction 
in Iraq. You know, there, there were assertions and allusions and people saying, well, we know they had some in 1993. It had nothing to do with the current time in 2001 and 2002. And I kept saying, there's no evidence. There's no evidence. And you know what? It turned out not only was there no evidence, there were no weapons. But there, there was a lot of indication during your year in the uh, uh, Bush administration that if you dis- had any opinion that was not in alignment with the administration, that you were called sort of a non-team player, you'd get marginalized in short order. Is that right? Because I, I certainly had that impression. I worked in corporate America, and I thought the best CEOs were ones that were inviting dissension, inviting alternative opinions. That's what made the company great, is by looking at problems from every angle. But I didn't get that in, uh, impression from this administration. You know, something I learned early on in my uh, career, in the, in the 15 years I served in the government before the second round, mm-hmm. is how important it is to write down uh, what you think are important things, because when they're written down, they can be more effectively challenged, and you can ask questions about, okay, well, you're asserting their weapons. Show me the evidence. Don't right. show me. Don't show me the claims and the assertions. Show me the evidence. I want to see or hear from someone who's actually been on the site and touched the weapon and knew what it was. You know, for me, that's evidence. You wanted empirical facts. Exactly right. And not unproven beliefs. And and as I write about in my book, we've made a turn toward unproven beliefs and we can't tell the difference between an empirical fact and what's an unproven belief anymore. And boy, you know, that's just a short step to irrational public policy. Now we have to take our our, uh, last break and when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about the U.S. tax code and the monstrosity that it is and, uh, and how people can stay in touch with you. You're listening to the Costa Report. Just about everyone knows that fruits and vegetables are good for our health, but not everyone knows how to build a healthier plate. Hi, I'm Amy Tobin, a cookbook author and culinary expert. For each meal, nutrition experts recommend filling half of your plate with fruits and veggies. Whether it's fresh berries with your breakfast cereal, a wrap filled with your favorite roasted vegetables for lunch, or a medley of crunchy veggies for a pre-dinner nibble, Dole provides the freshest and highest quality produce available. When you load up on all the nutritional good stuff, you give your meal an instant boost of color, flavor, and texture, plus vitamins and minerals and fiber. Everything your body needs to succeed. For nutritional inspiration and to learn more about Dole's fresh, whole, and cut vegetables and a full line of berries, visit Dole.com. With Dole as your partner in health, the possibilities are endless. Visit Dole.com. holidays, everyone. I'm Rebecca Costa, host of the Costa Report, and I want to thank listeners everywhere for supporting excellent nonpartisan programming for over two years. We have never been more divided than we are today, and this is the reason it has never been more important to support programming like the Costa Report. And you can keep us on the air by doing one very simple thing. Pick up a copy of The Watchman's Rattle, which is now in paperback and available at all bookstores, even airport concessions. Because when you do, these proceeds go toward expanding our broadcast. If you love the program, show your support by purchasing the Watchman's Rattle. And from all of us here at the Costa Report, have a safe and happy holiday season.
Christmas was made for all people, not just me and you. The original Stagnero family has been in business since 1879. The Stagnero name stands for quality, quantity, and great service. The family's Gilda's Restaurant on the Santa Cruz Municipal Wharf is still the fishing headquarters of the Santa Cruz area. It's where fishermen gather each morning for coffee and breakfast before heading out on the bay. Stop by Gilda's and say hi. Dino looks forward to meeting you at Gilda's on the center of the Santa Cruz Municipal Wharf. Hi, Dale here from Jungle Plant. Today I'm answering the most frequent question I receive. What is Jungle Plant? We're a full-service interior plant company providing sales, service, and rental of plants. And we're here for you with free consultations. So give us a call at 462-5806 or visit us at jungleplant.com and Facebook and Yelp and Manta and Merchant Circle and LinkedIn and Twitter and Google and Yahoo Local. If electricity flows through it, you can save a lot of money by doing it yourself with the help of the experts at Santa Cruz Electronics. Hello, Charlie Friedman here. Listen to the things your friends and neighbors are doing for themselves with the help of Santa Cruz Electronics. Xbox 360 repair. Solar energy kits. Musical Tesla coil. Video output for my home media center. Building a new server. Repairing a student radio station. More RAM and a sound card. DSL line. Network printing, scanning, and faxing for dentists. Replacing antivirus on 12 machines. Wireless network for court reporter agency. Diagnosing sound card problem. Building a 5-kilowatt amplifier. Ham radio antenna. If electricity flows through it, you can save a lot of money by doing it yourself with the help of the experts at Santa Cruz Electronics. Voted best electronics store two years running. Call Santa Cruz Electronics today at 831-479-5444 or visit at 2808 SoCal Avenue in Santa Cruz. Do it yourself and save money with the help of Santa Cruz Electronics. Welcome back to the Costa Report. I'm here today with former Secretary of the Treasury, Paul O'Neill. And, uh, you know, just last week I was speaking with uh, Phil Donahue and he had a lot to say about the importance of dissension and dissenters. And I suspect that two of you feel the same way about this. In your case, you were trying to open up a conversation among peers, something you encourage as the head of international paper, Alcoa Rand Corporation. But it turns out that in some cultures, they don't encourage that. And yet the value of diversity, a diversity in ideas and approaches and viewpoints, it's really the best defense against sudden changes in the environment. And time, time and time again, nature proves this point. So what happened to make us feel so threatened by a different point of view? What, what, what caused us to stop being able to tolerate someone thinking differently than us and even having a conversation? You know, Rebecca, I, I think that we've had uh, a basic change in our in our uh, political activity, and and you know maybe there's evidence for this, but I think the actions that you see from most elected politicians now is they don't believe they can tell the people the truth and get elected or reelected, and so they they do this other thing of you know obfuscation and generalities that are not worth listening to instead of talking hard facts to people. And I'll give you an illustration. You know, it's not, it's not only our tax system that's nonproductive and inefficient, but let me tell you another area that's aching to be fixed, and that's health and medical care. You know, so Obamacare got passed. 
it does virtually nothing about the value improvement opportunity in healthcare, and I want to tell you a few numbers. So every day in the United States, there are 4,586 people in health medical care institutions that get an infection that they didn't really want or need, but they got it in the institution. In every, you know, for, for every care bed in the country, there's one patient fall every year. And there are 300 million medication errors in this country every year. Now, in, if you look at all of it, as I've caused myself to do a lot over the last 10 or 15 years, mm-hmm. I believe there's a trillion dollars worth of waste in our health and medical care system that we could get out that would link back and help us with this looming fiscal problem we've got and create markedly better outcomes for people. So I've been saying to the people in the administration, look, a thing a president could do has no political cost is for him to go on television and say, I'm going to cause the VA hospitals across the country and the U.S.-based military hospitals to begin linking up to the Internet every morning at 8 o'clock in the morning and posting every newly identified infection, every patient fall, every medication error that we've identified in the previous 24 hours. This is important, real time. Every day do this, and in three months I'm going to require every nursing home and every caregiving facility in the United States to do the same thing. And if we did that and we made it a criminal offense not to report, people would be astounded. But, but le- okay, but let me stop you right there because I right. don't, I'm not convinced you can do this from the inside. I think you got to bring outsiders in. When you're in trouble like this, when you've got systemic problems, I think you better bring some outsiders in. And they brought you in. They brought guys like Neil Borofsky in to administer the TARP program. They used to have people like Bill Richardson in who could go extract hostages from Iran and and uh, and North Korea without firing a single bullet. Okay, uh, we've driven all three. those guys out of our nation's capital. They get in there and they can't function. They're invited to leave. Well, I agree with that, but I also agree. I also how agree how does this, how I do we, I got to ask you, because you've been there and, and you have run incredibly complicated and very successful corporations. No one knows this better than you, in my view. No one knows it better than Neil Borofsky, who gets in there and says, listen, now's the time. We've got our, we've got our, our uh, you know, our boot on their neck. We've got to do some reforms. If not now, when? And, and he's prohibited from making change. You're prohibited from instituting change. So how do, how do we get out of this? How do we get out of this vicious cycle? Because the American yeah. people want to know. They're, they're fed up. So, uh, you know, I think all of what you say is dependent on real leadership. And I believe if the president did what I said about the health medical care stuff, you know, it would be a real act of leadership to create transparency so that we, the American people, would be able to make a judgment about where we're going to go get our care. And there would be a clamor among all these caregiving places to go discover the few places around the country that have figured out how to solve these problems and adopt the practices so they would stop having to report all this ghastly stuff. And we'd save a trillion dollars, Rebecca. I mean, it would be... Well, what I love about talking to you is we can save a trillion in health care. We got... 500 billion we can pick up in uh, t- uncollected taxes. We got a few hundred billion and a few trillion here and there. Uh, it seems like we could dig ourselves out of this hole. 
Hey, we start to saying? be a reasonable society. We start to be a reasonable society again if we use our brain. But I want to make another point about leadership. You know, it is possible for presidents to lead against the grain. And what I mean by that is this. In 1965, when Lyndon Johnson first got his hands on the presidency, he passed the first significant civil rights law against unbelievable opposition. And then he, whatever you may think, he passed Medicare and Medicaid when there was not a clamor for doing that. You know, so... But isn't that real leadership? Isn't real leadership... Being yes. able to step in front of someone as Lincoln has done, as Eisenhower has done, as former presidents have done, and sit down and be honest with the American people and say, whether you like it or not, these are the facts. Yep. This is this where is we sit, we and, it's, and it's my job to help lead us out of this. Yes. And and I just don't see that happening. And, and, I, and by the way, I don't think it's unique to the president. I don't see it happening in our Congress either. So, I mean, I don't want to call out names or one particular office in particular, you know, uh, but I but I will say I just don't I don't see that kind of leadership. And I do see it in corporate America. Uh, and and so so let me ask you one last question here. If you had to nail down what is job number one for the president, is it taxes? Is it the medical reform? What What is it? I think it's a dedication. You know, I've been saying we need a reinvention convention, which is a way of saying we've evolved a whole lot of things that are no longer uh, directionally correct for our society. And things as fundamental as the tax system, which touches us all, we need to reinvent the tax system that's fair and efficient and transparent. And that can only be done by the president calling out and say, that's what we need to do. These are the terms of trade, and we're going to figure out a way to do it. You know, and I think it's about all the important areas of our society being clear about what it is we need to do and, and, and providing the leadership to prod people to move in the directions we need to change things. You know, I'll give you one other example. For the last 60 years since we've collected national data, it has been true that 30% of our 10-year-old children can't read and write and compute. That's a tragedy, and it's irresponsible as hell for our society to continue tolerating a system that produces 30% of children who are going to be handicapped their entire life. So let me ask you the question that's on everyone's mind. Any plans to go back into government? <laughs> Rebecca, I'm too old. Oh, say it's not so. <laughs> say it yeah, is I'm, not so. I'm, I'm too old, but Come I... Come on, give us a, all a Christmas present here. I hope I'm an effective advocate for what we need well, to do. Well, you certainly you certainly are. And how can people uh, stay in touch or follow you? Are you on social media? Do you have a website? Uh, I do have a website, and uh, there are all kinds of things written about me. Some of them are even true. <laughs> well, welcome to the Internet. Thank you. <laughs> well, uh, that's about all the time that we have today. But before we say goodbye, I, I want to thank you for continuing to sound the alarm and to be an and being an, an excellent steward of the public's trust. Thank you, Mr. O'Neill, for being with us. Thank you for having me. If your station is leaving us after this first hour, my guest next week is known as America's toughest sheriff. And I do mean the toughest sheriff. Uh, he's one of the nation's most outspoken proponents of tough immigration re uh, enforcement. Sheriff Joe Arpaio will be with us.
from restricting inmates to two meals a day to reinstituting chain gangs. Arpaio has been tough on crime, tough on politicians, and really tough on the media. Uh, join me next week for a no-holds-barred conversation with Jeff uh, for with uh, Sheriff Joe Arpaio. I also want to take a special moment to wish all of you a happy holiday season and to thank my guest today, the former uh, Secretary of the Treasury, Mr. Paul O'Neill. I do hope if you have a moment, you will Google Mr. O'Neill's reports, his videos, uh, and uh, some of the articles that have been written on him. He is a true American patriot. And uh, I want to remind everybody that 10 to 12 years ago, Mr. O'Neill was sounding the alarm about the fiscal cliff. And uh, there were many that were echoing him, many uh, such as uh, Krugman, Diamond, Nobel economists had come to his side. And where did it get him? It got him invited to step down. So uh, if you're curious about why we got in the current jam we're in, now you know. Thank you for listening to the Costa Report. There's no question that selling a home can be a tricky business when the economy is uneven. But here's a little bit of good news. Not only are financing options opening up, America's love affair with the Monterey Peninsula still continues. Homes that are priced and marketed right are moving. Hi, I'm Judy Profeta, owner broker of Alon Pinnell Realtors in Carmel, where we're happy to report that inventories are coming down and homes are selling. So if you're getting ready to sell or listing your home, call Alon Pinnell Realtors in Carmel at 831-622-1040. Or stop by our offices on the corner of Ocean and Dolores or our main office on Unipero between 5th and 6th in downtown Carmel. Alon Pinnell Realtors, serious brokers for serious sellers. A meal at Severino's Bar and Grill is always a treat, but on Christmas Day, it is a gift. Preparing a traditional Christmas buffet December 25th from 11 a.m. to 5 p.m. Indulge on juicy certified Angus prime rib, slow-roasted turkey with all the trimmings, jumbo prawns, Dungeness crab legs, assorted salads, delightful desserts, and so much more. This delectable meal is $37 for adults, children between the ages of 10 and 5, $17. Don't forget to ask about their New Year's Eve extravaganza. For more information, call 688-8987 or visit us at www.ccliffin.com. Hi, Jacoby here, host of Raising the Standards, right here on KFCO Saturdays, 3 to 5 p.m. Tune in and join me, Rachel, my co-host, our buddy Rick, and some of the most interesting folks in the world as we chat and play the best music on the planet. And remember, if at some point during the program you're not offended, well, you're just not listening. Raising the Standards, Saturdays here on KSEO, 3 to 5. Your source for news, sports, traffic, and weather. AM 1080, KSCO, Santa Cruz, San Jose, Salinas, and Monterey. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program. Brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.